You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org. Amen. You know what we do here at Hardin is we take our seats, we open our Bibles. We're going to be looking again at the last paragraph of our study of 2 Peter. So in just a moment, we're going to read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Thank you so much for joining us here on this first day of a brand new week. Many of you probably don't realize this, but one of the privileges that I have this fall and this winter is I am the assistant varsity basketball coach for the new covenant lions wow i am the assistant coach to joey and on game day and we had two games yesterday in morgantown kentucky i have two main responsibilities my main responsibility is to make sure joey stays calm during games and then my second responsibility which is supposed to help him some is when the other team runs out on the floor He has given me the responsibility of analyzing their players, picking out which one is the best player, deciding who we should put on that player, and then see who we believe might be a threat to either drive the ball down the lane or to shoot the three-point shot. Wow. Now, we're familiar with our team, but most of the teams that we're playing this year, we've not seen yet, so we're not familiar with, so I take my responsibility very seriously. Now, so far, our team has always been on the floor, and then all of a sudden, the other team runs out. Now, I need to tell you that we have a rotation of eight players. We have one senior, we have two juniors, and we have five freshmen. And all of a sudden, this other team that we're going to play runs out on the floor at the varsity level. And the first thing I always notice is this. Every player that we're going to guard seems to be a little taller than our players. Every player the other team has has players that seem to be a whole lot heavier than our players. And when you just look at their legs, their arms, and their face, you suddenly realize they are a whole lot more mature than our players. And then I realize that, whoa, in some of those positions, we are going to be outskilled when we begin to play. It's just amazing that between the ages of being a freshman and a senior, just four years difference, how varied the height, weight, maturity, and skill level is with teenage boys. Do you agree? If I could just say this publicly, we need our boys to grow. (laughs) Not over the next few years, we need them to grow over the next few weeks. If you have your Bible, stand with me. Open to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, and we're going to finish the sermon we started last Sunday. This will be part two of looking forward. We're going to concentrate this morning on verse 18. Last Sunday, we concentrated on the first verse. We will talk about the three verses in the middle. 
But when we come to that 18th verse, I want you to listen intently because that's how we're going to finish 2 Peter chapter 3 is because that's Peter's concluding verse to his second letter to the church. Verse 14, ESV says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letter when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father, we can never talk to you too much in a public worship service. We believe prayer is us declaring our dependency on you and we do depend on you for everything we do here in this church. And Father, we just want to thank you right now for the opportunity to gather and worship you here in person, and many folks will join us online, not only here in this area, but other parts of the country and literally around the world this morning. That's just amazing. And Father, right now, whether we're in person or online, our desire is not to be a here only. And you know I don't want to be a speaker only. We want to be doers of your word. Thank you for the second letter Peter wrote. Now focus our attention on this last paragraph because Father, we believe you're gonna use this not just at this moment but throughout this week and hopefully for the rest of our life. Thank you for what only you can do and that's anoint us with your spirit to testify to the truth of your word and then apply it to our personal life. Thank you, Father, again for Jesus. Wow. How much you loved us and how much he loved us to do what y'all did and then for you to send your spirit to testify to us of what you did for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We learned last week that because we do not know when the day of the Lord is going to be. It's going to come like a thief in the night that we are looking forward. When Jesus comes, present earth, present heaven, going to be done away with. There will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so while we're living in this world of unrighteous, we're looking forward to that new earth of righteousness. But while we're still here and we're looking forward, Peter reminds us that we are supposed to be making every effort possible on that day when he comes 
and we stand before him on the day of judgment, the Bema seat of Christ, we are to be found as believers. No spots, totally blameless, and at peace. Wow. I hope you looked forward this week. And as you looked forward to your new home, it motivated you how to live this week for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's gonna tell us three more things in this closing paragraph. He's gonna tell us to count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Now, if you remember a few verses earlier, we saw that the false teachers were teaching that Jesus isn't coming back. Preachers have been talking about him coming back, but he hadn't come back yet, so he's probably not coming back. And Peter corrects that to let them know, if you do want to say there's going to be a delay in the Lord coming, know that the reason the delay is, it's because God doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now think about this, for you and I who are believers, when the day of the Lord comes, it's going to be a glorious day, amen. We're going to see Jesus, we're going to glorified body, we're going to stand before him, he's going to set us down on a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be glorious. But think about that person who doesn't know Christ. They're going to stand before God in judgment, and they're going to be cast into an everlasting lake of fire. forever and ever and ever. That breaks God's heart. So if you want to think of the Lord's coming being delayed, that's why it's being delayed. God wants to give people the opportunity to repent and more time to repent. Now I got to ask you this question. Why does he tell us to count? Old English translates this word reckon. The word reckon means to add it up. I've never figured that out. We add things up, but when we put things on paper, we add down, right? We always put the number at the bottom. The ancients put the number at the top. And we have this phrase, just add it up. So add this up. Patience of the Lord. Salvation. Why would he be telling me and you this? Because if he comes back today, we've got spouses, we've got children, we've got parents, we've got cousins, we've got family members, we've got friends, we've got work associates. They're going to spend eternity in hell forever and ever and ever. So you know what ought to be happening to us? If we're looking forward to that new home, but we're still living here in the old home, they ought to be on our hearts. They ought to be on our minds. We ought to be looking for opportunities to share Christ with them. Because the reason Christ hasn't come back yet is so that they can have an opportunity to repent. But that opportunity is not going to last forever. Does that make sense? But I got another thought. 
See, the New Testament presents salvation in three phases. Justification, sanctification, glorification. There's a sense in which I can say, I have been saved. It's a moment in the past. I'm justified. I'm made right with God. But there's another sense in which right now I can say, I am being saved in sanctification. God is moving me further and further away from the image of Adam, more and more into the image of Jesus Christ right now. Agreed? And then when Christ comes back, it's going to be a day of glorification. I'm going to receive a new glorified body. We are as believers. Do you realize for us as believers this? Patience of God, while he's giving unbelievers the opportunity to repent, you know what he's giving us opportunity to do as believers? Repent too. Not of the nature of sin, but acts of sin. Trust me. You don't want to stand before God on the day of judgment as a believer with unforgiveness in your heart. You don't want that anger. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know that attitude you've got? You know that quick critical judgment you make? Don't want that in your life when you stand before Jesus. So here's what I think Peter's saying to us. Better deal with that. Are you dealing with any of that? Add it up. He ain't come back yet. You got time to get it right. Start today. And then he reminds us of this. Paul has also written a letter to this church. Is that cool? Can you imagine being a first century church and you get a letter from the Apostle Peter and you get a letter from Paul who Peter identifies as our beloved brother. I mean, I was trying to think how cool would this be? Wouldn't this be so neat at Harden if possibly there had been a day when we could have had like a John Piper preach to us and maybe a John MacArthur preach to us or maybe a R.C. Sproul in his day preach to us? Can you imagine what a blessing that would have been? This church hears from Peter and they hear from Paul and what Peter's saying is we both agree on this. That the Lord hasn't come back yet to give people an opportunity to repent. And he talks about Paul writing as a beloved brother. See, don't listen to those people who tell you Paul and Peter didn't get along. That's not true. Yes, Paul corrected Peter. Peter took it well, knew he should have been corrected, and calls him a beloved brother. And then he says, God, in all of his wisdom, gave him the ability in all of his letters to write wisely. So Peter knew that when Paul wrote, he was being gifted by God with the ability to write, but then he made this statement, and some of his writings, they're really hard to understand. I would have never known that, would you have? I mean, I thought Paul was a piece of cake, amen? 
I mean, have any of you ever read the Apostle Paul and went, what in the world is he talking about? When he does those run-on sentences, you know, just sentence after sentence after sentence after sentence. Yeah, Peter recognized that Paul wrote on a different level than even he wrote and most of us understand on. But then you know what he said? He said there's some false teachers that take what Paul has said, even though he agrees with me, and they twist Paul's words and they bring about their own destruction. And then he says this, as they do the other scripture, and I want to stop right here just for a moment. Let that sink in as they do the other scriptures. I know you're aware of this, but at the time Peter's writing, the early church used the Jewish Bible as their Bible. What you and I call the Old Testament. That's the scriptures. 39 books. Peter has already written to us that we believe that the Holy Spirit of God anointed those men to write what they wrote so that they weren't writing their words, they were writing the very words of God. Amen? I want you to watch this. Paul said every scripture is inspired by God. Every scripture is theonoustos, breathed out by God. And now Peter, talking about Paul and the letters he's written, puts them in the same category of the Old Testament prophets and the 39 Old Testament books. Wow. Peter recognized that when Paul wrote his letters, he wasn't writing his own words, he was writing the very words of God. And you know what people do with Paul's letters? You know what people do with the Old Testament? They twist them. They make them say things that they really don't say. Therefore, he tells us this, we better take care. The word take care means to be on guard. To be on guard that every time you hear somebody teach about Scripture, they may be twisting it. And the twisting it is going to bring about their destruction. But if you're a believer, a real believer, and you come under false teaching and start being led by false teaching, you could fall down and lose your own stability. So Peter's worried about the church falling down. So he says, be aware. I just wonder what Peter would say if he's here today. Some of you are reading some junk on the internet. It's just pure junk. Pure junk. We got about 20 channels on our TV that some of that is just pure junk. It's twisted thoughts. It's not teaching the word of God at all. It's teaching someone's version of the word of God. Last week I shared with you about a TV ad I saw on a news broadcast about a book. Got a text that afternoon that said, hey, I saw that same ad, I bought the book. We agreed when the book comes, he's gonna use it to start a fire. Peter says, be on guard. 
You can't trust everybody that's teaching the word of God. There's some people that want to take the word of God because they already have a belief about God and they think how God ought to be, so they take scripture to twist it to present their view of God, which is really not God. Now, I'm not saying we do it correctly, but the entire 40 years that we have been here, there's a reason we start in verse one of a book and go to the last verse of the book. It's because it makes us keep God's word in context. And it makes it a little harder to read what you want scripture to say into that verse. Agreed? Doesn't mean we still can't mess it up and misinterpret it. But it helps keep us from twisting. And I want to say this. There's nothing wrong with churches teaching topically, but I want want you to know this. That's the hardest way to teach the Bible. Because you've got to spend several hours and days choosing your topic. Then if you're going to choose a verse out of the middle of a book, you've got to study everything before that. You've got to study everything after that. You've got to study everything in that testament. Then you've got to study everything in the Bible before you can know what it's going to say. Whew. I don't know how you had any time to do anything else. That's just too hard for Brother Ricky. I choose the easy way. Just pick a book. Do four verses. Don't have to ask God what I'm going to teach next. Just start with the next verse. Spend all week studying that verse. Does that make sense? Please be careful. I have to be careful. Some of the guys that I respect the most could also twist scripture. I could twist scripture. So let's take care. Doctrine matters. What you believe matters. Because if we believe wrongly, we will lose our foundation, we will lose our footing, and we will lose our stability. And we won't have the influence for God God wants us to have. Amen? And then he says, but, Man, I knew it. You knew it too. Peter was either going to end with a therefore or end with a but, right? And he ends with a but. After saying all of this stuff, he's now going to, wow, tell us something awesome. And here's what he tells us. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So here's what we're going to end on this morning. We've got 21 minutes. We're going to talk about growing in grace and growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, growing has been on my mind a lot lately. Here's why. I'm the assistant coach of a varsity basketball team. Can I remind y'all, we have a rotation of eight. We have one senior, we have two juniors, we have five freshmen. Every game so far, we give up inches, we give up weight, we give up maturity, and in most instances, we give up skill. Here's why. 
Most teenage boys don't really start growing to between their freshman and sophomore years. And by their senior year, normally not going to grow much. So when you're us and you're playing that team that's got two juniors and two seniors and their youngest player is a sophomore, you get it, right? So I've been studying growing. Because I'm going to try to help Joey get our team to grow. Now, I'm not talking about growing over the next two to three years. I'm talking about growing over the next few weeks. We're in the midst of a season. And here's what I've learned from the experts. There's four main ingredients to growing if you're a boy. First ingredient is genetics. Second ingredient is diet. Third ingredient is exercise. Fourth ingredient is sleep, rest. Now, one of these, the experts tell me, gives us 80% of our growth. It determines 80% of our growth. How many of you think you know what it is? How many of you think it's diet? How many of you think it's exercise? How many of you think it's sleep? How many of you know it's genetics? Yeah, it's genetics. So if you're a kid here and you want to be an NBA professional ball player or you want to play in the NFL, just look at mom and dad and say thanks. (laughs) Don't have a chance. Why? Because 80% of my physical growth comes from my mom and my dad. That's discouraging. If you got moms and dads like I had, and papas and granddaddies like I had. Now, just so you know, my great granddaddy Cunningham was six foot four. Married a four foot two lady. <laughs> Destroyed it. No disrespect, but why couldn't he have fell in love with somebody who was like six foot two? Then I could play for the University of Kentucky. Not going to happen. So what I'm telling you is if we're a guy and we're desiring to grow, 80% of our growth has already been determined. But you know that 20% might make a couple inches of difference. And that's diet. That's exercise, that's sleep. Here's what we're going to do. Peter's not talking about physical growth. He's talking about spiritual growth. And when I examine that, I like that. Because he wants us to grow in grace and he wants us to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which means what? Let's just state this obvious fact. 80% of our growth is determined by our spiritual genetics. Can I just do this real quick? Thank you, Father. Spiritually, I have the DNA of my heavenly Father. Wow. Now, if you don't know my Father, can I tell you about my Father? He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. Can I tell y'all what he did just to brag on him just for a little bit? 
There was a time when there was no one, nothing but Him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And He took nothing. Now, nothing is nothing. Nothing's not something. Nothing's nothing. And created the heavens and the earth. And then you know what He did? He decided he wanted to have a being on this earth that could mirror who he was in heaven. So you know what he did? Here's what he did. He reached down and got him some dirt. You ever done that? Any of you ever wanted to make something you reached down and took some dirt? Have any of you ever done this? You took your dirt and you fashion it and then you breathe your spirit in and all of a sudden it jumped up and it had a body it had a soul had a spirit wow that's my father 80% of our spiritual growth is determined by our spiritual genetics God the Father and God the Holy Spirit came together to converge on you and you have God's nature within you. You have a nature that's alive to Him, dead to sin, no longer alive to sin, dead to God. Why are you settling for the life you're living? That's why Peter, he says, but grow. Grow. The dad in me, the papa in me, the farmer in me, the pastor in me wants to grow. I have the potential. You hear me say this. Hold me to this. I have the potential in every situation of every moment of my day in that moment to be like my father. He gave me a picture of who he is. It's his son, Jesus. My big brother. And you know what he's already done? He's already lived this life for me. Faced every temptation and more, yet without sin. And here's what I know. I have the genetic potential in every situation of my day to act like him. And so do you. But we gotta grow. We gotta grow in grace and knowledge. So let's talk about growing in grace first. Then we'll talk about growing in knowledge. And I'm going to take this, these four ingredients. Let's talk about the diet we need to eat in order to grow in grace. And let's talk about the exercises that we need to have as disciplines in order to grow in grace. And then let's talk about rest. You ready? You know what grace is, right? We like to say it hardened. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves so that we cannot do what he did. Live an obedient life to 
to our Father. If I can shorten that, grace is God's enabling power. I was raised to believe that grace was just God's equal opportunity. It was God doing for all of us equally and then he backed up and then it's all on us. Don't believe that. Can't support that in scripture. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. He knew who he was in being transformed from a sinner to a saint to someone who murdered believers to a preacher of the gospel was because of the enabling power of God. Paul in Romans 5 paints this picture that we've been justified by faith and therefore we're at peace with God. And then it says, through him we have access through faith into this grace in which we stand. So I want you to get this big picture. If you're a believer, the grace that God saved you by, you're now standing in. Wow. Can I just ask this question? I've done this before, but I just want to ask this question. How deep are you in God's grace? Some of you still putting your toe in? Checking out grace? Hadn't completely abandoned belief in your own works to belief in God's grace? You knee deep? You waist deep? Any of you up to your neck in grace? See, Jesus gives us access to God's grace through faith. Now, we're supposed to grow in this grace in which we stand. We're not growing grace. We're growing in grace. Does that make sense? So, ask this. What do you think our diet should be? Now, you'll notice here, Peter doesn't tell us how to grow in grace and knowledge. He just tells us to do it. I want to try to show you how. You ready? Here's what your diet's got to be. Humility. Say, brother, where'd you pick that from? Remember what Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 5? What are we supposed to do in the church? We're supposed to clothe ourselves with what? Humility. Why are we supposed to clothe ourselves with Humility. Because when God sees pride, what does he do? He resists it. He opposes it. What does God do when he sees humility? He gives grace. James said the same thing. Humble yourselves under God's hand. Why? Because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Remember what Paul said to the church at Philippi? Don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Actually put others ahead of yourself in your thinking. So you know what humility is? Humility is that ability to put others ahead of yourself. To quit thinking about yourself and think about the others around you. 
How you doing? I know that's one of them things we don't like. I gotta be honest with you, as a kid, I was told if I'd eat certain things, I'd grow big and strong. Didn't eat it. Tried it a few times, didn't like it, spit it out, vowed to never eat it. I didn't physically grow up big and strong. Now, can I say this to some of you that are younger? Some of those things I wouldn't eat when I was a teenager, when I had the ability to grow big and strong, I now eat. And I like it. And I'm growing. (laughs) Just not up. (laughs) Amen? I know you don't like humility. We live in a country that says it's all about you. And yet we serve a God who says it's not about us, it's about others. Right? Wow. So we don't like humility. That's why some of our marriages are in trouble. That's why some of our children's lives are in trouble. That's why some of our businesses are in trouble. That's why some of our churches are in trouble. That's why some of our friendships are in trouble. Because we're not growing in grace. We're not growing in God's enabling ability, God's enabling power. We're not trusting in what God is doing for us. And he's resisting us because of that pride. Yeah. Now, if our diet's going to be humility, what's going to be our exercise? Now, again, it's going to be something I don't like. We're going to have to walk. I'm a runner. I don't run now, but my whole life I've tried to run. Salisa walks. I don't like walking because I don't have time to walk. It takes too long to walk. Does that make sense? If I go walk, it takes me twice as long to walk. Now, when I was younger, it took me three times longer because I could run faster. Now I run slower. It's about half speed. Get this picture. I don't like to walk. But when it comes to spiritually exercising. Here's what I got to do. I got to walk in the spirit. Not in the flesh. The reason some of us aren't growing in grace is because we're walking in our flesh. We're not walking in the spirit. How do you walk in the spirit? You stay clean. The God who lives inside you is holy. Therefore, he wants your body, his temple, to be holy. You ought to see Mimish get in my truck. 
She can't hardly drive it for the dirt. If you see her vehicle and my vehicle, they're totally different. She's not comfortable in my truck because of the dirt. Holy Spirit's not comfortable with some of us because of the dirt. So if you're going to walk under his control, you got to be clean. Let's deal with the junk. Let's deal with the spots. Let's deal with the blemishes, okay? Let's be clean before him in confession. And then let's yield to him. Let's say when the day starts, and I have to do it six or seven times during the day. And I want to be honest with you, when I meet certain people and I see them coming, I have to do a, a double take. I've said, okay, Lord, this is not about me. They're going to rile my flesh. I am not going to let them. I'm going to surrender to you. I'm going to yield to you right now. Now, I'm not going to tell you all who those people are, but I have some. Got it? But I yield. And then once I yield, I do this. I'm conscious that I'm now not in control, but the Holy Spirit is in control of me, and I'm now going to trust that what I do is going to be what he's leading me to do. And then once I've done this, I've got to rest. I've got to rest. When I say rest, I've got to trust that if I'm hungering to be humble, if I'm hungering to walk into the curl of his spirit, I can rest in him doing what he said he will do. And that's he'll do for me what I could not do so that I can now do what he did. And in that situation, I can live up to my potential in Christ. That whether I've just come to Christ as a new believer, I've been walking with him all my life. In that moment, I can be like Christ. Now, how do we grow in knowledge? Two minutes and 46 seconds. Here's our diet. I think you know what the diet's gonna be. It's the word of God. Amen. In particular, the gospels. We got four beautiful pictures of Jesus and most of us never read them. Why? Why have you not read Matthew lately? Why have you not read Mark lately? Why have you not read John lately? Why have you not read Luke lately? It tells us who Jesus is. It tells us what Jesus did in certain situations. And then we read the New Testament letters because they talk about his body, the church, which we're a part of. And then, yes, throw in the Old Testament too. But if you're a new believer, don't start in the Old Testament. Start with that beautiful picture of Jesus. Now, what's our exercises? We got to study. We got to learn to cook. Got to learn to cook. We are so blessed to live in Western Kentucky. We got some of the greatest restaurants. Amen. Tremendous restaurants. I won't name them, but they're really, really good. And Salise and I enjoy occasionally eating at a fine restaurant. But you know what we love best? Eating at home. You know why we love eating at home? Because we're really good cooks. Now, when I say we, the capital W is Mimish. I'm the E, and it's really, 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 really small. But I do help. Wow. We get the pots out, we get the pans out, we get the meat out, we get the vegetables out, we... 
we cook. And we eat what we cook. Spiritually, it's okay to eat out. Can I tell you all about this great eating place? Spiritually? Hardin Baptist Church. Wow. Tell your friends about it. The meals are awesome. Amen. Come on. Amen. But this can't sustain you. This can't sustain you. You can't come on Sunday morning and eat one time. When it comes to knowing who Jesus is and growing in the knowledge of Him, you got to learn to cook. You got to learn to open up God's Word and read it and study it. You say, Brother Ricky, I need help. If you're a lady, we got some great precept classes here where you can learn how to study God's Word. And if you're a man, we got some discipleship groups that meet once a week that are awesome to where you can learn how to cook from some men who've been cooking for years as they share knowledge with you and they share how they cook God's Word. So we have no excuse. And then we got to rest. We got to rest in what we know is true in God's word. And just know with God's enabling power and with us knowing who Jesus is, not just intellectually, but experientially because of our relationship with him, we can trust this, that this next week, we're going to handle the situation differently. Why? Because this week, we're going to show we've grown in grace and in knowledge. Can I just tell you briefly? I'm the assistant coach of a varsity basketball team. We drove two hours to Morgantown, Kentucky to play two games. We were so thrilled because we were playing the weaker team first and then there was going to be a JV game then we was going to play the best team last, an undefeated team from Lexington, Kentucky, private school. I agreed with Coach Joey that we need to get such a lead in the first half that we could rest a little bit, play some guys who normally are not in the rotation so we'd be ready for that undefeated team. Well, let's just say the game did not go as we wanted the game to go. Double overtime. Four players fouled out. We lost. Can I just say our head coach doesn't like to lose at all? We get the team huddled together. The JV game is playing. And I heard him say this to the players. Guys, in November, it's not about winning and losing. It's about growing. And he reminded them of some things. We got no legs left. We've got nothing left. We're going to play this private school from Lexington in about an hour. And so here we are. We walk out on that court. Wow. Several inches taller than us. Many pounds heavier than us. Maturity, not in the same class. Agreed, Michael? Skill, oh man, undefeated. But you know what Joey and I saw? 
We saw for the first time this season in a half a basketball, our Lions fully implement the knowledge that Joey had given them. And each one of the eight played within their game to where it wasn't about them, but it was about a team. And when the first half was over, the score was 42 to 20. We were ahead 42 to 20. Yes, they made a run on us. Joey prepared them for the run. And when the run was over, we still won by 15, 16, 17 points. Wow. Can I just say the team in Lexington is not undefeated now because they played the new covenant lions who implemented the strategy and the teaching that Coach Joey had instilled in them. When will we as the church of Jesus Christ get over ourselves individually and play as a team? And do what we do in the enabling grace of God and do what we do in the full knowledge of who Jesus is. And quit trying to do our own thing. It's wrecking our homes. It's wrecking lives. No one is seeing how Jesus would have lived if he was here. And that's the opportunity that God gives us. Amen? Will you commit to grow? Will you eat right? Will you exercise right? And will you rest in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org.